Thank you, worship team. Isn't it nice to see Jason wear all those different hats this morning? I just, I just love it. Uh, yeah, he's got a meeting to do after. To, yeah, for missions. That's right, Jason. That's right. Get off the stage. No, just. A... You know, a fundraiser once said, listen to this, every dollar you spend is a vote you cast for the world you want. What do you think about that? Every dollar you spend is a vote you cast for the world you want. You know, he has a point, and it applies to more than just money for, for all of us. Today, right now, what have you been thinking over the last 20 minutes, 30 minutes? Like, what's gone through your mind? Every thought, every conversation, every decision, every action, through those things, you and I cast votes for the life that we really deep down inside want. We expose our true desires by the choices, the thoughts, the decisions we make. I mean, it's just as simple as that. And you can make it cynical. I, I, tend, to, I tend to fall on that side. How many of you are, especially in our world today, I, I, I can be really cynical. You can be cynical and self-serving, or you can be uplifting and faith-affirming. It can be all about what others do for you, or it can be all about what you do for others. It's your vote. It really is. It's your vote. It's my vote. I get to choose. And day after day, my vote is the only entry into this particular ballot box. Nobody else gets to put anything in there. It's you that does it for yourself, and it's me who does it for me. But can you imagine what would happen, like even just say in a, in a local church assembly of people gathered to worship God, what might happen if we all placed our votes consistently for the life God clearly wants us to lead, and we made that choice consistently. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best of the time, regardless of what the time is making the best of the time because the days are evil. They have been since Adam and Eve. They will be until Jesus comes back. That's not going to change. And the Apostle Paul states to another group of uh, believers, like you and I, who lived in the city of Philippi in chapter 1, verse 6 of Philippians, and I am sure of this, Paul said, that he, this is God, who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So here in Philippians, God is working God assures His children that what He promised, what He initiated in your life when He led you to Jesus Christ and saved you, what He begins, He will finish. He's going to finish it. But in Ephesians that we read just before that, we're also told that we have choices to make as God is turning us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. We have, we have choices to make regarding this life. Some of you are going to choose after service today where to go have lunch, right? I'm sorry for bringing that up because now that's, that's what you're thinking about. We also work. God works. We work. So how does a disciple of Jesus grow in his or her Christian life? Like, How does this put this all together? How, how does it work? What does it take to grow and mature in the faith. What is God's part? What is my part? Can I see those two parts clearly? 
What does a well-balanced Christian life even look like? How can I make the daily choices and decisions that God really wants me to make? These are just some of the questions of exercise number five. That's where we're in our fifth exercise. I hope that your muscles are feeling stretched and maybe they're a little sore. But this is core faith exercise number five, and we're going to go to Scripture to find the answers to these questions. And I pray you're encouraged as I was when I went through this and put it together as we now grow together, exercise together. First of all, let's, let's, set, let's set the stage. In growing, in growing in Jesus Christ, there is a cost. The disciples, many of them who were following Jesus, dozens and dozens, some of them didn't want to hear this, and that's when they left. This is when they checked out. I'm going to go to a different church. There's a cost in learning from and then living out the teachings of Jesus. We will experience discomfort. We're going to be uncomfortable. Amazing joy? Yes. Say, everybody say yes. Yes, Pete. Amazing joy. We're going to have amazing But there's also a cost. Some of you will resist the changes. I know you. <laughs> I know me. You will resist the changes that God is trying to do in your life and work out. You're going to resist it, and some of you will resist it more than others, and it's going to hurt more. Just telling you the truth. It's going to hurt more. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a German pastor who ministered in Germany during the horror days of Adolf Hitler, and his ministry and his resistance to the Nazi regime and all that they stood for eventually led to his conviction and execution toward the end of the European portion of the Second World War. And in his work, The Cost of Discipleship, this is what he writes. Listen to this. Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. I love that statement. It remains an abstract idea, a myth. If a disciple places himself at the master's disposal, but at the same time retains the right to dictate his own terms, run his own life, do what feels good to me, then discipleship is no longer discipleship. But a program of our own to be arranged to suit ourselves. To pursue this thing that we're talking about in this particular core lesson that we call spiritual growth, it's to pursue Jesus. To be more like Jesus, to submit ourselves to the lordship, the mastership of Jesus. It's a new way of seeing. It's a new way of doing. It's actually a new way of being. Jesus summarized the cost of discipleship with a very vivid metaphor. He does it in Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, You've got, you guys have heard this verse. If you've come here for any number of months or years, you've heard this verse over and over again. But listen, he told him, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We all understand what the cross is, right? What he's referring to, the cross of execution, death. It hurts 
Understanding what God has done, understanding what God is doing in your life and in my life will make this an even more powerful point. So what is God doing? What, like remember I said He has a part, we have a part. What, what is God doing in a disciple's life? What's His part? Well, consider God's overall purpose and goal that Paul says many, many times, just so we all get it. He is moving all Christians, every one of us, no one's exempt from this, all of His children, Jesus Christ's church, towards Christ-likeness. That's a nutshell summary. That's God's purpose. He's moving us towards Christ-likeness. Paul explains God's plan in Romans 8, 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He, the Son, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God is chipping away at all the stuff in your life and in my life, anything that is not like Jesus. He's chipping away. He's chiseling. Ooh, doesn't that look like it might hurt? God is chiseling to create an image that is in the likeness of His Son, Jesus. God is promising every believer in Jesus Christ in these passages that He will personally get them there. That's His goal. He will accomplish it. In the theological term, we've learned a theological term every one of these lessons now. Our theological term for this one is, for, for spiritual growth, is sanctification. Sanctification. Sometimes when God chips away, He actually has to cut His grooves into our life. And, and we feel the impact of that, and, we, and ouch, we say, that really hurt. And we say it like that too. And sanctification, this, this growing in our faith, comes with a cost. So, so how does God then propel us, motivate us, get us uh, to, to be like Jesus, it, move us along in this direction? Last week, we saw the role of the Holy Spirit, right? The third person of the, the triune Godhead, that He is a person, that He is at work, that He lives and dwells, every follower of Jesus Christ. God is conforming you into the image of Jesus Christ through the work, the empowerment, and the control of the Holy Spirit of God. That's one of the ways in which He's doing it. And this indwelling Spirit, I don't know about you, but I have all the spiritual resources I need to resist temptation and sin. I have no excuse. The devil didn't make me do it. You didn't make me do it. The person who just cut me off on I-75 didn't make me do it. I have everything I need, just like Jesus did. The resident spirit inside me gives me all the desires and the abilities to overcome sin, just like Jesus as we submit to God's commands as they're found in God's Word, the Bible, just like Jesus did, as we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, we are filled with or controlled by that Holy Spirit. You ever meet someone after a long time of separation, you haven't seen them maybe for months or even years, and it's been a long time, and you're like, whoa, have you ever changed? I'm not talking about gray hair or more weight. I'm talking about, you know, their character, right? You ever, you ever, nobody? 
Everybody's always the same. I mean, when I meet people after years, it's like, wow, you've changed. Yeah. They just, they just glow with this newfound godliness and this purer character. And they're more loving and kind, and the words aren't so harsh. Or You know, they, they've changed. It's, it's, it's awesome to see. On the other hand, maybe this is more what you encounter, um, the change has been the opposite. When we sin, we stifle the blessing of the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives. Paul puts it this way. In 1 Thessalonians 5.19, he says, do not quench the Spirit. Obviously, this is something you and I can do. Some of us may have even done it this morning. We can stifle the blessing and the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives. And again, in Ephesians 4.30, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, so you and I can blow it. But that's not the goal. That's certainly not God's goal. So how else might God propel us towards sanctification? Well, here, here's another thing that comes into our lives, and it's the thing that we don't like to talk about, trials. How many of you like trials? Nobody. That's okay. You're, you're being honest. The role of trials. God uses trials to produce spiritual growth in our lives. How many of you like that? Nobody? You know, James writes in James 1, 2, and 4, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters. When you meet trials of various kinds, how many of you like trials? Come on. Thanks. Okay, one person's waking up. All right, two. All right, good. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. To be what? That you may be perfect, mature, and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. How can you possibly be joyful in difficulties? I ask you. Because you realize, it's usually after, but you realize that God is testing your faith and He's using this particular thing, this trial, to bring you to some place of maturity that He's destined you for so He can use you more. You know, I think it's more like you don't rejoice at the painful experience. That hurt, and I want it to hurt more. No, that's not what we're talking about. This isn't sadistic. We're not rejoicing at the painful experience of the trial, but we're rejoicing at the provided opportunity of growth through that trial. Lord, please take it away. <laughs> but while I'm in it, grow me. Show me what I'm supposed to learn. Show me where I'm supposed to be. More likely, what am I supposed to change? Trials, you probably heard this. Trials can make us better, or trials can make us bitter. Right. It's your choice. It's your vote. God knows what He's doing. You can either go with that, or you can go against it. It's your choice. 
But here's the next one. This is one that everybody likes. The role of rewards. Okay, how many of you like rewards? Yeah, everybody puts their hand up. How many like trials? I don't know. I know I'm supposed to, but I don't. Uh, rewards? Yes, yes. We're all into rewards. You all get a trophy at the end for putting your hand up. The Bible does mention rewards as a motivation for our obedience. Let's just get over that, all right? It's there. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, 8 through 15. It's a long passage, but listen up. Each will receive his wages according to his labor. That's just the way, that's a principle of life. For we are God's fellow workers. We're working towards a goal together on this. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I'm laying a foundation, and Paul tells us elsewhere that that foundation is Jesus Christ, and it should be for each one of us. And someone else is building on that. Let each one take care of how he builds on it. And here, here we go, verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation of Jesus Christ in their life or anywhere else in life with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work, whatever you're using, will become manifest for the day will dis uh, disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one of us is doing or even has done this morning. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives this fire of God, from God, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. Won't get that reward. Though he himself will be saved, but only as though through fire. Each one of us has two piles in our lives right now, today. Two piles of presumably good deeds. One pile is the, is the precious metals and the stones representing good works that we've done by the, by the power, by the leading of the Holy Spirit of God, um, and these God will reward. The other pile is made up of materials that are burnable. Uh, in the rubbish pile, I'll call it a rubbish pile, it represents things that are not necessarily always bad things, right? Not necessarily bad things. But they're things that God does not reward because they're things that weren't done by the Spirit's leading and empowering. I took control. I did this. And I did it for selfish motives and selfish reasons. Yes, I helped that person. But there was an underlying motivating factor why I did it because it was going to benefit me. I know none of you have ever done that. It's probably news to you, but that does happen. So the question we have to ask ourselves as we live our life is what pile are we collecting? What pile are we putting the most effort into? Where does our mind and thought go on a daily basis? When we're not in church, when no one's reminding us, other than the Holy Spirit. Which pile do you, did you add to this morning? I brought this up before. Um, when you were running late this morning, which pile did you add to? when that person cut you off, when your clothes didn't fit. I know, I know, I had to go there. When everything just went south this morning, just, it just nothing worked out, nothing. 
Dawson Trotman was the founder of a discipleship ministry called The Navigators. You heard of The Navigators? Been around for many, many decades. And one illustration that he developed in the early years to explain these disciplines of spiritual growth and sanctification that we're talking about this morning um, uh, is called the wheel illustration. And every, every illustration humans come up with always breaks down, but I think this one's pretty good and has stood the test of time. Well, at the center of the hub of the wheel is Jesus Christ. Wait, ding, 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 ding. Yeah. A two-year-old could have filled that in, but it's true. And Jesus represents the focus of where our life is, why we even have a life. And for the wheel to roll straight, the hub, Jesus, must be the focus. And for the wheel to run smoothly, Balance is needed between all the spokes, and there's four spokes in this wheel. There's the two vertical spokes of the wheel represent our relationship with God, and that is primarily through prayer and through the Word. Pete, that's what anyone in the church ever talks about. Read the Bible and pray to God. Yeah, <laughs> and there's a reason. Because those vertical spokes affect the horizontal spokes where you and I live every day. And they represent our relationship with people. Peter, life would be so much easier if there weren't people. <laughs> I know. But we share Christ with non-believers, and we build up believers. So as we're obedient to God's commands, maintaining the balance of this wheel, doing our part in these Christian disciplines, relying exclusively on the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, the wheel will run straight. There will be bumps in the road. There will be holes in the road, but the wheel will roll. And in an exchange with the Pharisees in Matthew 22, Jesus was once asked, what is the most important commandment? And what's interesting is that Jesus was asked for one commandment, and He responds with, with two commandments. And He said, He responded with two, love God, which is what the expectation was, and love your neighbor as yourself. These two commandments are inseparable. You cannot obey one without the other. We display our love for God by growing in our relationship with Him, which comes through immersing indoctrinating ourselves with the Word of God and believing what God says is true in light of all the false things that are around us. And prayer with God, that communication. And we display our love for our neighbor when we share the gospel truth in love and sincere concern for their eternal soul and for the, for the Word that we get from the Bible, from God, and then we fellowship and we grow with other Christians. So, given all that, how do I make daily choices in my Christian life? Well, Josh McDowell, another Christian uh, writer, has a helpful pattern which is often referred to as the four C's. Now, I've done something this morning. I've taken liberty with this. I changed the third C. Peter, who do you think you are? Well, I didn't like it. I, it just, it didn't roll for me, you know. It just didn't, it just didn't resound for me. So I changed the third C, and I think, I hope you, you can, can come up and complain after, or you can say, no, that was good. So whatever you think. I changed the third one, but the first C is this. Consider the choice. 
with the decisions that you have today with a friend, with others. Consider the choice. Is it right or is it wrong? Good place to start, right? Maybe more important than that, who determines whether it's right or whether it's wrong? Where does that come from? God must always be your go-to. Always. He's the one who determines the right from the wrong in your life, my life, and anybody else's life. The Old Testament prophet Micah states what God desires, what is right and what is wrong, and he does it with a question. I, I love that. It's in Micah 6, 8. He has told you, God has already told you, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The answer is yes. Other people may give you advice. Actually, they'll give you advice even if you don't ask for it. And some of it's going to be good, and some of it's going to be bad. But we have to come to grips with the fact that God alone has the ultimate authority for making these choices in my life of what is right and what is wrong, which naturally then takes us to the second C, which is compare it to what God's Word says. Compare it to God's Word. What does Scripture have to say about what God wants me to do? And since Scripture is God's revelation of Himself to all mankind, it only makes sense that it contains and is the message that God wants us to follow. And this goes hand in hand with that first C, consider the choice. In Psalm 119, by the way, wonderful psalm, longest chapter in the Bible, but wonderful psalm. In verse 105, your word is a I mean, think about this image. Think about the picture that the psalmist is painting. Your word is a lamp to walk by. So presumably, we're walking in darkness. We need, has that ever been, you know, is that ever more evident today? And a light to illuminate my path. What is? The word, not the internet. The word, not government. The word, not education the Word. That's the light. That's the lamp. But what if, after doing this and consulting and doing your due diligence as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're left with three good options, three good options, three good paths, and they're all right. You've checked it out. They're all biblically sound, and they all appear to be okay. You got three. So while you're searching the Bible for the answers to the path forward in a particular situation you're dealing with, pray. Pray like your life depends on it, because guess what? It does. Pray specifically for wisdom. Here I changed Josh's third C to covet God's wisdom. I found a C. It was awesome. I was just like, thank you, Lord. Covet God's wisdom want that desperately and acknowledge that you and all of your friends, wonderful friends, don't get me wrong, okay, you're great friends, but acknowledge that you and all of your friends, regardless of their educational background, don't have all the information. They don't. Nobody does. Well, and none of us knows the way to go without God. 
James 1, 5 and 6, if any of you lacks wisdom, you've got this choice to make, and you lack wisdom, ask God, why don't we do this? And he gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. And let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. The fourth sea while you're doing all this, you're counting on God for the protection and the provision the whole time. See, as you follow God's path, you can trust Him. You can trust Him for the outcome. You can trust Him for the blessing that He wants you to have or not have. You see, it may not be the outcome you anticipated. It may not even be the outcome you prayed for but we can count on every resource that may be required to get us through. And our prayer life should not diminish once we sense God's leading and things are starting to roll and everything's coming together and everybody loves me. When things start to fall into place, you can't let yourself get lazy. How many of you can get lazy? Everybody put your hand up. We can't let ourselves get arrogant. We can't let ourselves get prideful. Philippians 4.19, Paul says, All these blessings will come to you in abundance if you obey the Lord your God. That's not just once. <laughs> not just during a prayer in the morning or at night. This is like throughout the day. In conclusion, what's, I wanted to leave you with one. This has always affected me. It has for decades now. What's one huge perspective that has helped me as I pursue the sanctification that God has laid out before me, um, this, this spiritual maturity that often involves making really, really hard choices and decisions? And, and I guess my answer is an eternal perspective. Without this, I get so caught up. We need to be able to see beyond the here and now to the reality of what lies ahead, what is really true, when all truth will be revealed. It's so hard because what's going on right now in our world and in your lives is so captivating, isn't it? It, it appears to be so important, at least, at least I'm told in the media that it's really important and that life depends on it. If we have a well-developed and consistently believed eternal perspective that can only come from God's Word, if we understand what God is doing with us, all of us, and where we're all ultimately heading, we'll be in a really good position to grow in the grace that God has given us as He conforms us into the image of His Son. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, so we do not lose heart. I know we can all at points in our life come close to losing heart, to losing faith, to watching someone we love make horrible, horrendous decisions and choices and kind of go off. We don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, and those of you who are younger, as you get older, this verse will mean more. As our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. There's an older song 
day by day. I like the way DC Talk did it. But anyway, who's DC Talk? Anyway. Day by day, oh dear Lord, three things I pray, to see thee more clearly, to love thee more dearly, to follow thee more nearly day by day. And then Paul goes on and says, for this light momentary affliction. Paul had a way of saying things. He has, Paul in his life, you read his life story, it's like he went to hell and back multiple times. And he calls that what? A light momentary affliction. (laughs) It's preparing us, Paul said, for this eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So God scales. Okay, so, so here's now Here's God's glory, okay? So God's scales are weighed heavily on the eternal glory side of things. Verse 18, but as we look not to the things that are seen, what we're being shown, what we can see, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. It can look very bleak and confusing out there. (laughs) It is. There's deception at every turn. There always has been. Because of the fallen condition of the planet that you and I live on, it's supposed to be this way. It can't help it. None of it is eternal. It's all temporary glory at best. There's no real glory, lasting glory in any of it, but real glory is coming. It is. It's around the corner. Now, the question is, will it be your glory? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Have you trusted in His death on the cross and His resurrection from the grave? Is that where your trust is? then that glory is yours, and it's coming. Would you rise with me? Please remember to stay after this final closing. Worship to our God and Lord and Savior for the uh, quarterly update, and pray, pray along with me now. Heavenly Father, we've taken in a lot of your word. I know it cuts. It's sharp. It pierces to our heart, to who we really are. And Lord, we thank you for the effect it has. And Lord, I pray that our lives are transformed as we even walk out these doors this morning to infect this world with the good news of Jesus through our lives, through our words, as we're transformed more into the image of your Son. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.